Robert Cohen here. We are keeping democracy alive. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. So yes, there's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. That people don't feel that they can do very much. You know what this is? This is a very Hamiltonian system. Alexander Hamilton being the guy here in a very un-Jeffersonian. In the case of the Republicans, it's dramatically the opposite. Uh, But even in the case of the Democrats. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans in the South. America's fascists are those people who think that Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. We're really seen as a financial sector that's uh, gotten out of hand. The shooting, the violence, that is not the drug problem. That is, in fact, the drug policy problem. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. Timing is everything. Last weekend, I ran into a man who was reading the Times of London. As this was rather unusual in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, I asked him about this. He said he just flew in to visit with some friends that day. And he told me he worked in the city of London, which for those Americans not familiar with it is England's financial district. I assumed he was with the conservative party known as the Tories, and indeed he was. He was quick to point out that that he was not with the right wing of the party, the racist, anti-immigrant faction which pushed for Brexit, the British departure from the European Union. When I told him I was doing a show about the head of the British Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn, and allegations of Corbyn's anti-Semitism, he said, oh yeah, the Labour Party is rife with anti-Semitism. Now remember, this is coming from a conservative, a Tory. How true is that really? Or is the fact that Corbyn is upfront in his defense of Palestinian rights behind the brouhaha? Could it be a calculated hoax? Dare it be said... A plot to oust Jeremy Corbyn from the traditional leftist politics he represents from British public life? Could the nasty whispering campaign be described as sabotage calculated by the Conservative Party or perhaps even uh, the right wing of the Labour Party? What is the status of anti-Semitism really in formerly Great Britain? Could it be even more nefarious? Uh, The allegations of anti-Semitism might be coming from the right-leaning Blairite faction in the Labour Party? Might England really swing left in the next election? Is that what this is all about? There are a lot of terms we should define for the American audience, and I trust our guest today, a Brit himself, Professor Kenneth Surin, will accomplish this. He's been a guest on Keeping Democracy Live before, last time to talk about the bewilderingly messy status of Brexit. His new article from Counterpunch magazine is called the UK's Labour Party, and it's, in quotes, anti-Semitism, end of quote, crisis. In the article, he argues that the notion that there is a significant amount of anti-Semitism in labor, let alone amounting to a crisis, is a red herring. Kenneth Surin, thanks so much for being back with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. Uh, pleasure to do so. Kenneth Surin got his Ph.D. in Birmingham, England in 1977 and is professor of literature and professor of religion and critical theory. He trained initially as an analytical philosopher. His teaching areas include Anglophone literature, 
outside England, philosophy, both analytical and continental, critical theory, Marxism, state theory, and international political economy. Some chops you got there. So, first, what is the Labor Party? Is it akin to the American Democratic Party with its different wings, which sometimes fight each other? Um, well, you're absolutely right uh, to the extent that the Labor Party is really an assemblage uh, of different factions. Um, but overall, the Labour Party is to the left of the American Democratic Party. Yes, it is, it is factionalized. Uh-huh. There's no doubt about it. Well, we will certainly be talking about that throughout the program. Here in America, I, I looked, up, looked it up and found that Jews make up less than 2% of our population. I was a little surprised at that coming from the East Coast. What, any idea what it might be in the UK? I know people don't want to be seen as anti-Semite there. Is it a larger percentage of the population, or do we not really know? I don't know. Uh, I think you could tally up the membership of synagogues, uh, etc., uh, and add to that people who... Uh, right, like here, belong to Jewish organizations, right. um, but I think at best that would give you an approximation, and I sure. would say the same about the other religious traditions in England. Well, certainly here in America, a lot of uh, people like myself who identify as Jews are only occasional attendees, uh, but yes. we do care about it. In recent years, uh, resulting from various wars in the Middle East and Africa, refugees have sought a better life all over Europe. And, of course, there was a significant uh, pushback against these immigrants, especially by the right. One would assume, uh, what's your sense of the level of hostility to these others as compared with that of anti-Semites? Is there more hostility to immigrants than there is against uh, Jews in England? That would be exactly right. Uh, Incidents involving violence and abuse towards Muslims, for example, I think, is uh, considerably higher than uh, cases of anti-Semitism, at least manifested in terms of abuse on buses, uh, trains, on the streets, etc., etc. And in fact, there's a far greater problem about Islamophobia in the Conservative Party, extending right from the top, Boris Johnson, whom Mm. I spoke about in your last show, uh, right down to the grassroots. So I would absolutely agree with you that there is more Islamophobia in the UK, or at least more manifestations of it, uh, than there are manifestations of anti-Semitism. And I can't help but think that the various attacks that there have been uh, like in France on Hebdo, uh, uh, the magazine there, and various anti-Semitic attacks. That I, I can't help but think that the vast majority of the British people, uh, you know, really bristle at that and find that terribly offensive. Which, of course, most Americans do too. So let's let's get down to the the, the rumor. What we're talking about today is uh, the rumor that Jeremy Corbyn is anti-Semitic and that he's. Uh, that a lot of the laborites are indeed anti-Semitic. What specifically is Jeremy Corbyn accused of? What are his detractors pointing to as examples of his anti-Semitism? 
I think the most recent uh, cited example of his alleged anti-Semitism um, was him uh, being photographed placing a memorial wreath in Tunisia uh, to um, Palestinians who uh, have been killed by Israel abroad. Uh, the uh, the PLO had its headquarters in um, in Tunisia for a while right, right. Uh, after it was run out of Beirut, and Israel bombed uh, the PLO headquarters um, in Tunis and killed several people. A memorial was erected to uh, those who were murdered. And a few years ago, Corbyn placed uh, a memorial wreath there. Now, uh, what muddied the waters somewhat, and of course his opponents jumped on it, is that there was also uh, allegedly uh, in that place uh, of memorialization uh, a memorial to the Black September terrorists who were responsible for the murder mm. of Israeli athletes in the Olympic Village in Munich for the 1972 Olympics. And so this, uh, Corbyn um, says that he was not aware of the other memorials um, in, in this place and that he was there specifically to commemorate the memory of those who were killed in the bomb attack uh, by Israel on the PLO headquarters. Mm. So uh, he's not been given the benefit of the doubt on any one of these allegations. Um, and how recently was that uh, uh, memorial in, in Tunis? Was that something that uh, was dug up about him, or was it relatively recent? Oh, I think it was dug up about him. He was not the uh, uh, the leader. Ah. He he was not the leader of the Labour Party when he uh, um, when he placed that that read. Uh -huh. um, no, nope. I'm trying to recall, and it'll come back to me later. Okay. Uh, when exactly uh, the read laying happened? Yeah, it's always interesting when you're a public uh, uh, person uh, and you speak out a number of things. The other side, whatever that may be, you can guarantee they're going to do their opposition research and look into uh, your long-ago past, perhaps. And I, I wonder about uh, British feeling in general about the uh, the Palestinian cause, the uh, uh, the idea that uh, you know pal justice for Palestinians and Palestinian rights uh, is something that uh, is important to a lot of people. Any any sense? I mean, here in America, I think, you know, the power of the, the Zionist lobby, uh, the APAC, American Israeli Public Act, Public Affairs Committee, uh, it keeps and the right wing here in America keeps uh, people pretty much, I think, unaware of Palestinians' struggles for justice. But I have no idea how the the media, the newspapers, uh, work over there. Any any sense of of how uh, public uh, opinion is on uh, Palestinian rights? I, I think there is more awareness of the issues surrounding 
Palestinian rights in the UK than there is in this country. There isn't as strong a Zionist lobby in the UK as there is in this country. And also, there are stronger left-wing traditions in the UK. And the left, uh, just as it was engaged in the uh, the struggle against apartheid in South Africa is equally involved in the fight to secure rights for the Palestinian people. Um, so there is more awareness in general, I think, in the UK. I, I am not surprised. Now, and also, go ahead. I think you you can't overlook the fact that Israel would not have existed right. um, had it not been for the British mandate in Palestine. Absolutely, um, yes. So, and that was in... Historically, there is um, more of a sense of Britain's involvement uh, in the establishment of, of, of Israel. Uh, I mean, that's, uh, that's quite evident. And I guess there's probably more, <laughs> in general, knowledge of history. I mean, here, it's like uh, required that uh, we forget history. We don't. We, we need to believe myths and not history. <laughs> but you're right. 1917 was the Balfour Declaration, which uh, created a national home for the Jewish people in Palestine, and that's a big, big uh, issue for discussion. A Jewish home in Palestine. It didn't necessarily convert all of Palestine to the state of Israel. That happened uh, later in 1948 and, of course, 1967. If you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. Our guest today is Professor Professor Kenneth Surin, talking about his new article from Counterpunch magazine called The UK's Labor Party and its Anti-Semitism Crisis. And the uh, anti-Semitism is in quotes. Writing in Mondo Weiss, another magazine that, that follows uh, Middle East issues, Norman Finkelstein, who happens to be the son of Holocaust survivors, writes that Corbyn has repeatedly extended olive branches and sought to meet with Jewish leaders in England and offered substantive compromises, but they have refused to meet with him. What do we, what do we know about that? Well, Corbyn, uh, I think, has made the mistake of trying to placate uh, his Zionist critics. And um, he wanted to, uh, to make a speech uh, before the Jewish leaders um, setting out his position, and uh, they rebuffed him. Uh, I think that... That the time has passed uh, for such placatory gestures. What he needs to do, and I think there is a consensus about this, uh, is simply to be forthright about Labour's position on anti-Semitism, to acknowledge that there have been pockets of anti-Semitism, just as there are pockets of anti-Semitism in uh, every uh, part of British society, and then, of course, to do a forensic analysis of this definition um, Mm -hmm. adopted by the International Holocaust Memorial Association, a definition of what constitutes anti-Semitism. It's a deeply... It's a definition that is general, and there's, I think, nothing 
controversial about the general definition, but 11 examples were attached to the definition. And of those, I would say four or five uh, are basically intended or can be intended uh, in order to shield uh, Israel from criticism uh, in regard to its treatment of the Palestinian people. And it does seem useful to conflate anti-Semitism with criticism of the state of Israel. They are, of course, two separate things. I am Jewish. I am not Zionist. Jews, I think, you know, a part of, I think the, the essence of what it is to be Jewish is, is a belief in justice and ethics. And Israel is like many basically 19th and early 20th century uh, nationalisms, which has become quite militaristic. And so by mixing the two, by purposely, uh, you know, suggesting that if you criticize Israel at all, well, clearly you're anti-Zionist, uh, you know, that that's quite a, a defense. And say, perhaps you could say more about that document that you just spoke of, about the definitions of uh, anti-Semitism and some of the specifics there? The one that uh, has attracted the most attention um, is the example which says that comparing Israel to the Nazis uh, constitutes anti-Semitism. And I think that is highly problematic because while israel uh you know does not have gas chambers etc cetera, etc cetera, there are aspects of israel's treatment of the palestinian people which resemble some dimensions uh of nazi policy towards the jews um ghettoization uh, the Warsaw Ghetto, yes. uh, mm-hmm. I think everybody knows about, at least uh, as a generality. Um, there are striking affinities between what the Nazis did in the, um, the Warsaw Ghetto and what is happening in Gaza. Yes. Um, seizure of Palestinian property uh, without due process or any compensation parallels what the Nazis did to the Jews. Um, when it confiscated that property right. uh, um, without any due process mm-hmm. or any compensation. Um, that was a flat-out illegality. And uh, you can say that the uh, um, the house demolitions yes. that are taking place, um, the seizures of, um, of uh, Palestinian property in order to make possible the expansion of the settled illegal settlement, um, that again is another parallel with um, what the Nazis did to the Jews in Germany. So I think if you look at it piecemeal, policy by policy, you have to say, if you use the reasonable person standard, which Uh exists in law, that a reasonable person who is fairly well informed would say, that there are overlaps between what the Nazis did to the Jews and what Israel is doing to the Palestinians. And to so, uh, you see, Corbyn really needs to come out 
or his surrogates need to come out uh-huh. and say things like this. Um, mm. There's always a question for politicians as to when to to fight back and when to uh, oh duck back a little bit, cower, if you will, and it's a, a difficult judgment call. And I, I think you're raising an interesting point there. And I have heard it said uh, that one of the uh, well-known principles in psychology is that people who are abused often become abusers themselves. Virtually all child abusers were abused as children themselves. I mean, that's just, that is a psychological reality. And one more thing, there's that new uh, nation-state law that uh, was just passed, uh, 62 to 55. I'm pleased there was some opposition to it, which states that the state will protect Jewish people, but it leaves it open to gang-like attacks on Palestinian people, that they will not be protected by the state. And that certainly reminds me of some of the, you know, early days of of the Nazi takeover. But it's amazing, you know, to say, you know, to compare anything to among, you know, about Israel with, you know, Nazi techniques and actions. Boy, does that ruffle a lot of feathers. I mean, it's just, and one can understand their, their hyper-vigilism, uh, but uh, it's just, it, it, it puts it like, you know, should it be, you can't criticize Israel because if you dare to criticize Israel, you're anti-Semitic. That's a heck of a thing to hide behind. And they, you know, some of their, I mean, the reason so many people in the world care about Palestinian justice is because they see what's going on and how, you know, there's, as you mentioned, the ghetto of uh, Gaza, which some have called the world's largest open-air prison. Uh, so, uh, th- again, Norman Finkelstein, writing in Mondowice, uh, has the opinion that he says, the transparent motive behind this cynical campaign to demonize Jeremy Corbyn, not because he's a uh, damn anti-Semite, other words were used, but because he's a principal champion of Palestinian rights. It, it, the 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 effort to demonize Corbyn, is that what they're hiding behind? Is it really something else that they're against? Because he is, you know, kind of a traditional left leaning laborite. I think there's absolutely no doubt that if Corbyn became prime minister, there will be uh, a very significant shift in UK foreign policy um, uh, on the relationship between the Palestinians, uh, and Israel. Um, The pro-Israeli position that has basically been upheld, uh, not just by the conservatives, but also by a significant wing in the Labour Party, uh, that stance is going to be overturned. And um, we know this, uh, that there is concern in Zionist circles about this. Yes, uh, there is a fund operated by the Israeli Foreign Ministry which disburses money to foreign embassies so that they can combat uh, the so-called delegitimization um, of Israel abroad. And I think some of this money has found its way very effectively uh. in uh, in the campaign against Corbyn. Um, so it's not just the Zionist circles uh, uh, who have it in for Corbyn. It's his own party as well. And you mentioned this in your introduction. The right wing in his party 
uh, are trying to save their skins because they know that if Corbyn wins the next general election, uh, the Blairite faction, that is the right-wing yes, faction in yes. the Labour Party, um, is going to be completely isolated. And uh, so much so that there is talk emanating from Blair himself, mm. but also some other Labour Party members uh, who belong to this right-wing, talk of defecting from Labour and starting a new centrist party. Right. So they are alarmed uh, at the prospect of Corbyn willing the, winning the next general election. They would rather the Conservatives won the next general election so that Corbyn can then be depicted as a failure. He didn't win the last general election. If he loses another one, they will say it's time to get rid of him, and this will save their place in the Labour Party. It, is, it really is that cynical. Mm. I, and I have to say, you know, early on in this discussion, we talked about labor and possibly being similar to the Democrats. Well, what you just described is indeed similar to the Democratic Party here. Uh, there is a lot of split and, uh, you know, there are people in the more right leaning Hillary Clinton corporate uh, DNC wing of the party, which is the top where the power really is. I mean, the alleged power is the money is there, certainly. But at the grassroots level, the party is coming back into its own, and the Bernie Sanders wing, which I see as the more traditional wing, is somewhat akin to the uh, Corbyn wing, and, uh, you know, one side wants to uh, oust the other, and I, I, hard to, I think one difference is I don't think even the, uh, the right-leaning wing of the Democratic Party would like to see another term for the orange Lucifer, uh, Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't know about that, but you know there is a lot of self-preservation in politics. Imagine oh, that. <laughs> yes, uh, without a doubt. And, and um, well, this is exactly what's playing out in Britain today, uh, where the Labour Party is concerned. Uh, I'm sure one side wants to beat the other and and continue the definition of it. For those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. This show is keeping democracy alive. Our guest today is Professor Kenneth Surin, and we're talking about an article he's written on Counterpunch, which is a highly recommended magazine. Uh, the article is called The UK's Labour Party and its Anti-Semitism uh, Crisis. Uh, you know, how much of it is real and how much of it is just tearing down uh, a traditional left-leaning Labourite. You write that there was a recent public protest in London against Labour's alleged anti-Semitism and that several Blairite—actually, maybe I should stop here and talk about what the Blairite coalition is. That's—Tony uh, Blair was uh, prime minister. He was head of the Labor Party. It was New Labor, a lot like the New Democrats in the 1990s under, under the Clintons here. And he enthusiastically supported the American invasion of Iraq and was rather, I think, deservedly disgraced for doing that. So there is still that— Labor wing, so that at that public protest in London, there were several uh, Blairite Labor members of Parliament at the demonstration. Tell us about uh, uh, this demonstration, please. Was it more pro-Israel or protesting anti-Semitism? What do you know about this this protest and right-wing Labor's involvement? Well, as to whether it was pro-Israel uh, or directed specifically at anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, 
there were uh, people at the protest who carried uh, uh, the Star of David flag. There were people uh, who carried signs which said things like, Israel, we stand behind you, which made me think that there could have been an overlap uh, with regard to uh, the interest in combating anti-Semitism in the Labour Party uh, and the vested interest in um, in favouring Israel uh, where British government policy is concerned, They're trying to, to swing it behind a, pro, a more pro-Israeli uh, position. Now, the Blairites, uh, I, there are some Jewish... MPs uh, who are very strongly uh, pro-Israel. I mean, they go on these junkets to Israel, etc., etc. And they do happen to be on the right wing of the Labour Party. Uh, There is another concern here, and you mentioned the Iraq war. Corbyn, who voted against the Iraq war, uh, has said that if he became leader he would be open to assessing Blair's legal position when Uh it comes to handing him over to the International Court of Justice in The Hague to be tried for war crimes. Uh Now, uh, (laughs) this is someone from uh, Blair's own party who says that that, that this, this would be a serious consideration from him, if he, uh, for him, if he became prime minister. So, Blair has never missed an opportunity uh, to discredit and undermine Corbyn in public. He's trying to save his own skin. Sure. Uh, Politics is supposed to be about service to the public first, but yeah, right. (laughs) It does sound somewhat similar to what, what sometimes goes on here in the Democratic Party, one side fighting in the other. And it's about oftentimes saving one's skin. And the lobbyists have a lot of influence. They have a lot of money uh, over the party leadership, which brings, I mean, money is a is always a big deal. It's been called the mother's milk of politics. And unfortunately, it's really ugly. In their stand for Palestinian rights, labor leaders have not surprisingly criticized the Trump administration and powerful Trump and Israel supporters like Sheldon Adelson. In talking about such uh, realities, some have argued that to talk about that and to dare to criticize that power and influence, of course, amounts to anti-Semitism. They hide behind that again. What facts have they pointed out about Adelson, which in which they in turn interpret as anti-Semitism? So when Adelson gets criticized, and we should perhaps touch on some of the money that he throws around and where that goes. So if anybody that criticizes Adelson uh, they perhaps describe as, as anti-Semitic. Are, are they saying it is anti-Semitic to broadcast such information? The the uh, the people that are out to get Corbin. Are they saying that if you put that information out there, that is anti-Semitic? Well, uh, you see, there is no equivalent of someone like Adelson um, right. in the United Kingdom. No, of course. Um, so. And there's no equivalent of someone like the Kushner family, right. who have deep financial ties with business interests in, in, in Israel. Israel. Oh, yeah. So that point is somewhat inapplicable to uh, 
to the United Kingdom. Now, but but they brought it out. Concentrate on the uh, the Adelson example in this country, and um, address your question whether it would be anti-Semitic to point out how much money Adelson um, has has put uh, behind the uh, yeah. the Israeli cause. Um, and the money is is is, is staggering. Yes, um, Adelson donated twenty five million uh, dollars to Trump's twenty sixteen campaign, eighty two million in all to the Republicans that year. Uh, he also coughed up five million dollars towards Trump's inauguration, and earlier this year he donated seventy million dollars to Birthright, which is an oh, organization yes. that brings young Jews to Israel. Uh, without cost to them. He's donated $100 million in total to uh, the birthright organization. Uh, he donated $30 million to the Republicans after Trump withdrew from the nuclear agreement with Iran. And he spent $150 million in 2012 uh, in the presidential election mm. uh, in order to unseat Barack Obama, whom he considered to be anti-Israel. So, is saying all of this anti-Semitic? Uh, I think, again, if you apply the reasonable right. standard, right. Uh, it would not be uh, anti-Semitic to mention what is basically uh, a set of facts that is available in the public domain. I don't see anything anti-Semitic about that. Nor, of course, nor do I. But I brought it because... Uh, Trump is not unknown in the UK, that's for sure. We Many of us here loved that amazing balloon of the orange baby uh, floating up in the air. And, you know, I, I would think that people, a lot of people in the UK probably do care about what Donald Trump is doing in the world. It affects every country in the world, certainly Europe uh, and, and England. Uh, and so... I don't know where that might put the the anti-Corbyn people who, I don't know, maybe they don't mind being uh, affiliated with the pro-Trump organizations. But I would think the awareness of of Trump as a madman, quite frankly, uh, is, I imagine, fairly widespread there. Perhaps not. I I don't know if if this... Oh, it... it, it, um there's only uh, a handful of leading politicians um, like Boris Johnson and the leader of the, uh, the far-right uh, UKIP party, Nigel Farage, uh, yes. um, who are Trump, uh, Trump supporters. Um, people try and distance themselves from Trump as much as possible. Uh, yes. Even on the Tory side, right? Oh, yes, even on the Tory side. <laughs> Um, I'm moving. No, I'm only kidding. Still fighting it here, but uh, that, that's good to hear. Uh, and there are various personalities uh, in, in British politics, uh, one of whom is uh, the deputy leader of the Labour Party, Tom Watson. What's, what's his role in all this? Watson is an opportunist who masquerades as an idealist. Huh? Um, There's absolutely no doubt that uh, his professed loyalty to Corbyn um, is paper-thin 
and that he would dearly love to become the leader of the Labour Party. Now, some people uh, who have that aspiration have taken the other road, which is to be very public and forthright in their opposition to Corbyn, thinking that uh, once he's displaced, uh, the visibility of their previous opposition to Corbyn will strengthen their uh, their cause in becoming the leader. Well, Watson thinks that uh, that by at least making a show of loyalty, um, when when Corbyn goes, if Corbyn goes, he can say, "Well, I put the party before my own interests." You know that kind of rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Um, so, my loyalty to the party uh, was. Uh, trumped my own personal ambition. But now that Corbyn is out of the way, I can be open uh, with my ambition. Mm. So that's basically the scenario that he's counting on. He's a very slippery character, and um, I wouldn't trust him an inch. (laughs) How do you really feel? (laughs) Now, in terms of actual, demonstrable anti-Semitism, as you write, Senior Tory politicians, and again, that's conservative, senior Tory politicians Boris Johnson, Michael Gove, and Jacob Rees-Mogg have recently met in secret with Steve Bannon, who runs Breitbart News, a haven for anti-Semitic views. I would think the press might have jumped all over this. How much about that is known? Is that, I mean, there's some real anti-Semitism. Oh, that's... Uh, the, you see, the press in Britain is overwhelmingly right-wing. Um, I'm talking about the tabloid press. Of the quality newspapers, the Times is owned by Murdoch, um, hey. and the, the, uh, the Telegraph is owned by the Barclay twins, who are tax-exiled huh. uh, and pro-neoliberal. And the Guardian, which professes to be liberal, uh, is actually um, very anti-Corbyn and uh, pro-Zionist in its opinion pages. So have they picked up on this, you know, uh, meeting? Oh, the Guardian are making the running uh, on this so-called anti-Semitism issue in the Labour Party. And that's because the lead writer, who uh, is basically directing uh, the Guardian's line uh, on this anti-Semitism issue, is a, a, the journalist Jonathan Friedman, who used to be the Guardian's correspondent in America, uh, who's very pro-Israel. And so the Guardian is simply not being liberal, when it, or e- even-handed, or even objective, uh, in its treatment of the Palestinian issue. But what about this this meeting with Steve Bannon, these senior Tory politicians? Was there an outcry over that? I, you know, Steve Bannon is... Not at all. He's uh, not a likable guy. <laughs> no, there wasn't an outcry because the press is right-wing and thus anti-Corbyn. The liberal guardian right. uh, is uh, pro-Israel and therefore anti-Corbyn. And the BBC... Yeah. Uh, has been cowed and intimidated by the Conservative Party, 
um, because there's a significant uh, section of the Conservative Party who would like to see the BBC privatized. And uh, what that translates into is for it to be sold right. off to Rupert Murdoch right. um, so that it can become something like the British equivalent of Fox News. No. Uh, you know, and, and basically be, be the propaganda wing of the Conservative Party. My goodness. So the Conservative Party has basically hamstrung the BBC when it comes to objective reporting. And uh, um, three senior figures meeting with Bannon in secret is not something that the uh, the BBC, unfortunately, is going to flag. That's If it was objective, it would do do this. It's just kept silent on this issue. And and my limited understanding of the BBC is that it has been owned by the government and always had a reputation for being pretty darn objective. That's that's changing. That's very disappointing. Yes, that's changed. Wow. Um, that's, that's changed radically in the last, yeah. uh, well, eight years since 2010 when the Conservatives uh, took uh-huh. office. What about the Observer newspaper? Uh, you're well, the Observer is basically the Sunday version of the Guardian. Um, so uh, it's it lines up with the Guardian on on every issue, and uh, in this case, uh, that's happened. Uh, it's anti Corbyn uh, on this issue of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. How did uh, there's so so much to talk about more here? If you just tuned in, Bert Cohen, keeping democracy alive, and we're talking about uh, attacks on Jeremy Corbyn in the old mother country as allegedly being anti-Semitic. What's the reality there? What's going on behind that? What are the power politics behind it? And we're talking with uh, Professor Kenneth Surin about that, trying to shed some light on that. And you write that some pro-Zionist groups worry that under the leadership of Corbyn, Britain might become more like Ireland. How so? Well, the Irish Parliament recently uh, passed into law um, the, uh, um, the bill which uh, said that goods manufactured in the illegal settlements uh, could not be brought into Ireland, that to do so would be illegal. So there are people who think uh, that Ireland is taking a far stronger stance on dealing with Israel's illegalities than, uh, than the UK is. Oh, so they might become more like Ireland. There's always they been become more like Ireland. I think one of the first things that Corbyn would consider doing is, in fact, to um, do what Ireland has done and to say that uh, Britain would no longer import uh, goods uh-huh. that are manufactured in the illegal settlements. Oh, interesting, and uh, yeah, there, there has occasionally been some disagreement between England and Ireland, a little bit here and there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you see, the Irish, uh, who've had their mighty struggles against a colonial power, yes, um, uh, Britain in this case, yeah, uh, perhaps they identify. uh, 
is far more sympathetic to the Palestinians um, than the UK is. I, I can't help but think so. Are they a left-leaning government over there? Or no, I don't. I am, to be honest, I'm, I'm not terribly uh-huh. familiar with Irish politics. Uh-huh. Um, well, you don't have to be left-leaning to... Uh, uh, but it's certainly to the left when compared with uh, um, the British Conservative Party. And um, also, we have to remember that uh, Ireland is uh, very strongly pro-EU. Ah, um, yes. And that's another issue that sets it apart from the United Kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens on that. What an incredible mess it is. Uh, we have enough messes here. I'm glad we don't have to deal with that one. <laughs> Whoa. Well, how possible do you think it is realistically that Corbyn, I, you know, elections here are, you know, strict every four years, the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November. I don't know uh, what uh, conditions might cause the next an election to be called. And so there's that question. And also uh, how Corbyn might do if it were, say, the election were held today. If the election were held today, uh, I think the Labour Party, um, judging by the polls that I've seen, would win but without an absolute majority. So it would be in the position uh, that the Conservative Party is now. It has the most seats, but it does not have an absolute majority. Uh Um, Of course, further down the road, um, who knows what might happen. Uh, The next election is due to be held in 2020, and it might, of course, the British political system allows for uh, the, the ruling party to call an election at any time. Right. Um, and if the Brexit denouement turns out to be absolutely chaotic, uh-huh. uh, the, Mrs. May might be forced to call an election uh-huh. um, simply in order to have some kind of mandate in proceeding with uh, Brexit um, once everything regarding Brexit breaks down between the EU and the UK. Mm. So that could be one scenario that would make uh, an early election possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, Otherwise, I think we are going up to 2020. Well, I wonder how Corbyn is is doing now. If this anti-Semitism whispering campaign, is it you know, just behind the scenes, is it just a whispering campaign? But I, you know, if he were, if an election were to be called, and this is obviously some speculation, uh, you know, given that the vast majority of British people are fiercely against anti-Semitism. I mean, like most Americans, too, we don't like anti-Semitism. It's, you know, very anathema to us, and we, we don't like it. So that by labeling him, Corbyn, an anti-Semite, they hope and expect to isolate him. Is it just a whispering campaign, or is it really out there, do you think? Oh, it's really out there. Really? It's it's on the first page of uh, um, every serious newspaper, and uh, it's, of course, 
all over social media. Um, so it is very much out there. This is this is a concerted attempt to discredit Corbyn so that he will not be a force uh, in the next general election. So it's probably really about other things about Corbyn, the fact that he is left-leaning and a traditional, uh, you know, flag-waving uh, labor uh, leader. So it's probably more about that, and they're just sort of hiding behind that by labeling him that? Because, again... Oh, well, yes, I think uh, there is quite a bit of that. Mm. Um, you see, Corbyn is going, if he becomes prime minister, is not just going to restore labor as a social democratic uh, um, party. Yeah. Um, Corbyn has a more radical agenda than that. Um, he wants Britain to become a people's democracy. Um, and basically uh, trimming to some extent the power of parliament and make British politics more responsive to uh, grassroots opinion. Hmm. And uh, so he, he, he's, he's going to propose something quite radical. And this has shivered the timbers um, of the right wing, of big business, etc., uh, etc., et and not just pro-Zionist circle. So mm -hmm. there is a convergence of interest. Um, behind this uh, attempt to discredit Corbyn. Uh, I think Norman Finkelstein made that point in his Mon Mondo Weiss article, and I absolutely agree with him. <sighs> Nothing like fear. Fear yes. can really drive people, and I, I, I can't... It does, from the sense I'm getting here, that, that the, they're drumming up fear, they meaning the, the Tories and the right-leaning part of the Labour Party, are trying to make people afraid of Corbyn for many different reasons. I wonder how it would affect the British economy. I, I can't help but think that they're trying to scare people that, uh, you know, it, it could hurt the economy and hurt, you know, people's uh, ability to live and, uh, you know, their their lifestyles. There's, there must be a lot of fear of, the, of trying to be, uh, shall we say, trumped up. But I wonder how strong his supporters are. It's like, I mean, there is Bernie Sanders over here, who, uh, yeah, the other side was trying to drum up a lot of fear about him, but he has strong support, really deep and committed support here. Is that the case for Corbyn as well, do you think? Um, I think so. Um, it's really difficult. It's mm. really difficult to tell uh, I know, it's not, it's how that support will materialize. Uh, until we are actually uh, uh, on the threshold of an election and the uh, the parties are in campaign mode. You know, how many people turn up to the rallies, uh, how many people um, become new members of the Labour Party, etc., etc. Uh, but I would think that when it comes to throwing out this absolutely atrocious conservative party, mm -hmm. um, people will realize that it's Corbyn or no one else. Yeah. Um, and uh, my sense is that uh, there will be a rallying effect oh, behind uh, 
uh, behind Corbyn. Well, now, when, that could be wishful thinking. Right. As I said, we don't really know. Right, it's pretty early. Uh, but it, until it, serious campaigning uh, begins. Well, certainly when uh, somebody is uh, painted as a real bad guy, sometimes it uh, has the opposite effect, the <laughs> counter effect. You know, when people drum up fear, they say, wait a minute, the guy can't be that bad. All these people are supporting him. You use a word I wanted to, to try to figure out I had never seen before regarding the state of Israel, uh, you know, because they always claim to be, we are the only democracy in the Middle East. You use the word ethnocracy. What does that mean, and how does that relate to the status of real democracy in Israel, do you think? Well, the term uh, is not mine. The The person uh, that I mentioned in my article as uh, originating the term is the Israeli political geographer Oren uh, Yiftashel, uh, who published a book uh, about 10 years ago uh, titled Ethnocracy, in fact. And uh, he said that Israel uh, is basically a regime promoting, quote, the expansion of the dominant group in a contested territory while maintaining a democratic facade. Mm. Um, that sounds accurate. I think after the, uh, the passing of the recent nationality law, yes. there's, there's absolutely no doubt that Israel is an ethnocracy uh, with uh, the trappings of a democratic facade. Ah, yes, window dressing. Hmm. Sometimes that's what all the people see. Well, you, you know, Corbyn has... Uh, apologize for not doing enough to root out anti-Semitism in the Labor Party. As you point out, it it seems that, quote, every step he takes now is dismissed as meaningless, too little too late, by his opportunistic opponents. What should he be doing? How effective is this smear campaign working? And judging by my conversation with the visiting uh, conservative from uh, the city of London, it does seem to be working. What what should he be doing now? Is he doing enough? Is he doing too much? Uh, what would if you were to advise Jeremy Corbyn? What would you tell him? Well, there are other people who've given him this advice, and it's advice that I gave in my counterpunch article. But uh, this uh, one of the handful of uh, genuinely left wing journalists in the Guardian newspaper, Owen Jones, has done the same thing. Corbyn needs to stop apologizing. Um, He really needs to do two things. Uh, One is to point out how that definition of anti-Semitism, with its accompanying examples, is deeply flawed. Even the lawyer, uh, who is a Jewish person from America, has said, that uh, those examples were not intended to have any kind of definitive legal status, and that some of them, in fact, uh, could be put to questionable questionable use by people who are anti-Palestinian. So he needs to say, in the most forthright way possible, what he thinks is wrong. Uh, with those examples. And the other thing that he needs to do is he needs to take a firmer hand with the drip, drip, drip uh, effect of 
uh, hearings uh, when in, in the Labour Party uh, disciplinary process, the, the hearings when someone is accused of anti-Semitism. Um, the process is too ad hoc. Uh, it takes too long. It needs to be simplified. It needs to be made mm. more transparent. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, he should really say, okay, this is what the Labour Party is going to do from now on. Um, so, rather than leaving it to, uh, um, to his staff and to his backroom team yeah. to sort these things out, uh, he needs, he needs to, to make a major speech um, doing these two things. Do you think if he comes out and says, uh, you know, Palestinians have rights, what Israel is doing is wrong, would that be uh, uh, too scary for some of his advisors, do you think? Or or would it resonate? Do you think it's a pretty safe thing to say? Well, of course, the right wing and uh, the pro-Zionist constituencies would jump on him for saying that. But I think people uh, in general, uh, adopting the reasonable person standard, would say that exists. Um, that it's a fact, uh, virtually undeniable, right. um, that Israel's treatment of the Palestinian people uh, is fraught with illegalities. So uh, he will take some heat yes, of course. from predictable circles, but right. um, I don't think it'll do him any harm. Well, we shall see. Fascinating discussion again, and uh, funny how the UK keeps coming up in discussions. Uh, it may not, uh, the, the sun, I think, has set on the British Empire, but it still has some degree of influence. If people are interested in following your stuff... Uh, well, uh, I think it's attracting attention for the wrong reasons. Ah. There's something absolutely farcical and ruritarian uh, and, and comedic even uh, about the way Britain is being run today. Oh, my goodness. Well, we'll have further discussions. The articles are on Counterpunch. Kenneth Surin, thank you so much for being with us once again. Pleasure being with uh, on your show. Thank you. Thank you again. It's about truth versus lies.